as I was thinking about my message, I just thought about how it came about. So a couple months ago, Pastor Robert came to me and he says, uh, hey, we've got to put the teaching schedule together, you know, three months ago. And I'm like, oh, man, okay, let me get back to you. I'll get back to you about that teaching schedule, right? And then Pastor Robert's like, okay, we need to get the teaching schedule together. So he starts talking to me. He starts, you know, we're going back and forth. He starts encouraging me, right? So I said, okay, okay, we'll, we'll get this taken care of. So the first time I came up here, I think it was like a month ago, I taught on Follow Me. And then this time, as I was picking out my verses, I was thinking about it, and I came up with Philippians 4, 9, chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And I was like, oh, these are verses that are dear to my heart. I'm excited about them. I started studying them, you know, got excited about them, got written on pages, got stuff going on. Then it was a couple weeks ago, we had a guest speaker here, right? His name was Adam Groza, and he taught about the same topic. So I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy that works at a seminary just taught on this same topic, and then I got to come after him and try to teach the same topic. So I thought about it, got a little anxious, started thinking about, okay, wait a minute, maybe I got to change what I'm going to teach. Maybe I got to start this all over again. And as I thought about this, I stopped and I prayed. And I stopped and I put my trust in God. And I knew that God has a perfect plan that is beyond my understanding. And I was at peace knowing, knowing that God was in control. I was at peace knowing that God was in control even of La Sierra Baptist's teaching schedule. And then I had nothing to do with it. And as I say these things, does this experience sound similar to any of the situations in your life? Something that comes up and you just become anxious? Things in our life that change quickly? quickly. So today we're looking at a way that we could have victory over anxiety, victory over these worries that come up. So the title of today's sermon is, I took it right from the text. It says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Before I get started, you guys, I'm just going to pray real quick, okay? So if you could pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as people who truly need to be refreshed by your Holy Spirit. Father, we ask that you reveal yourself to us this morning in a supernatural way. We ask that the God of peace that's talked about in these verses gives us peace. Father, help us to not be anxious. Help us not to worry. Help us to find peace knowing that you are truly in control of everything. Father, help us to be thankful people in any and all circumstances. Father, may you be so gracious this morning to reveal to us the peace that surpasses all understanding that only comes from the God of peace. And may this peace truly guard our hearts and minds. And may we truly rejoice and enjoy peace, the true peace that only comes from your presence. Amen. Church, could I ask you to rise, please, to honor the reading of the inerrant, fallible word of God? And as you do that, please turn in your Bibles to Philippians Chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. That's Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. It's also in your bulletin, too, if you don't have a Bible. Philippians 4, 4 through 9 reads, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all 
understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse number 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Please be seated. So what makes us anxious, church? I shared coming up to the pulpit makes me a little anxious. Um, but think about things that makes us anxious. Sometimes when I get up in the morning and I haven't done laundry, I get a little anxious about what I'm going to wear for today, hoping that the things that I put together match or I got the right socks going on, right? All right, as I'm going to work, I think about maybe a difficult situation at work. Maybe I had a disagreement with a coworker, getting anxious about how the day's going to go. Or I think about like things in life that make us make quick decisions, right? About who comes first. Who comes first? Does the wife come first? Does the husband come first? Do the kids come first? Do the family come first? Does the neighbor come first? Or does the person nearest to me with the biggest problem, do they come first? We got to make those decisions and weigh those things out. Or do we start to worry when we sit down with our checkbooks at the end of the month? Pay our bills? Do we become anxious about the extra expenses that came up? Maybe you had to call AAA to put a battery in your car. Maybe the hose blew on your truck. Something in the engine, there's a couple $300, $400 that went out the door just to get that in there. And that might even be only for the diagnosis on the situation. Or maybe you come home and the plumbing has bursted, the water heater is broken, or something in the house is not working, and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Right? Or I always get nervous because I'm, I'm a Kaiser person, right? So when Kaiser sends me anything in the mail that looks like a bill, I'm like, well, they said they were going to cover that. What the heck? Why am I getting, oh man, right? Or the, the, you know, the church of whatever it is, you know, that it comes in the mail, like, oh no, you know? Um, or maybe you need a new washer, dryer, or a phrase that just pops out of nowhere. A couple thousand bucks that's coming. Or what about when a loved one goes into the hospital? Or when a family member gets diagnosed with an illness? Or also, what about things that pop up out of nowhere? The other night we were at Bible study and I left the church and I walked over to Subway to get a sandwich. I was sitting in Subway eating my sandwich with my sister. We were talking and this lady busts to the door looking frantic and she sits down. First thing she says to the people, hey, can I call the police? And I'm sitting there trying to eat my sandwich, like, okay, here we go again, you know. <laughs> and um, she sits down, and she just sits there and doesn't say nothing. She looks real anxious, so my sister starts talking to her. Come to find out, she ends up sitting at our table. So she's in the middle of a, a, a domestic dispute, okay. So we start talking to her, right. And when you think about this, what do you say to somebody who's in the middle of a domestic dispute? Like, I just worked 10 hours, came to do a Bible study. I was looking forward to getting home, and I'm just like, whoa, how the heck? And she says, hey, can you go outside and walk me to my car, you know, or get, get me somewhere, get me some help? So as I walk outside, we walk outside. I'm like, okay, Lord, praying for discernment, praying for compassion, praying for love. The dude pulls up right on the curb, right? So I'm thinking, okay, 
what do I do here? Um, what's going to happen? What am I going to say to these people? Am I going to get hit in the head by somebody in the middle of this situation? So I start talking to them. You know, mo everything is like this, 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 you know, I'm trying to discern. So as, as they were separated from each other, yelling at each other, I prayed. I calmly walked over to the guy, spoke with him, and I shared the gospel with him. Let him know the peace, gave him my card, made sure he understood the gospel, and it was the full gospel, praise the Lord. Then I walked back to my sister with this girl, and I did the same thing. She was a little more argumentative, but she actually heard the gospel. There was tears that came down from her face in the midst of it as she popped right back into her problem. And as I say these things and as I talk about the story, these are situations that just pop up out of nowhere. And I know in my heart that hope comes from God, right? As I shared the gospel, I know that hope comes from God who sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He rose from the dead. And church, truly that was the hope that those people needed to hear to find their peace. So as we dive into our text today, to look at so we're going to look at some background information about the book of Philippians, okay? So we can better understand these verses. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church, okay? He wrote it to express his thankfulness, love, and gratitude to the Philippian believers. Paul wanted to let them know that he was joyful and he wanted to encourage the Philippian church. He was grateful that these believers had provided for him monetarily through his missionary journeys. The Philippian church was the first church that Paul had started in Macedonia, and it was dear to Paul's heart. We need to understand the context of these verses, though. Paul was sitting in a cold, dark jail cell, right? Paul was arrested and put in jail for crimes he did not commit. Paul was wrongfully accused for doing what? Spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. That's what Paul did. Now he's sitting in jail. Paul was no longer free to roam city to city, sharing the gospel with the people and the crowds that he was used to doing, that it was used to coming across. Sharing the gospel with people was what Paul was passionate about and what he loved to do. I tried putting myself in Paul's shoes in this situation. I thought about what my letter would look like. And my letter would be like big, bold letters. And it would say, get me out of here. Get me out of here. Get me help, right? That's what my letter would look like, right? But look at how Paul is dealing with this situation, the predicament that he's in. Look at what Paul is focusing on when life throws him a huge curveball. Philippians chapter 1, verse 7 says, Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul's focus was not on himself and it was not on his circumstances. Paul was focused on caring for others and encouraging others. Paul was focused on reminding people about the free gift of grace the free gift of grace that we've all been given through Jesus Christ. Although Paul was in prison, he continued to focus on the gospel. He was reminding the Philippian believers that no matter what happens, defending the truth of the gospel was of utmost importance. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 13 say, 
Philippians 1, 12 through 13, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Look at the words Paul uses in this verse. What has happened to me? What has happened to me? When we use those words, what has happened to me? Does anything good come out of that situation? You know what happened to me the other day I was driving to work and this car slammed into me and sideswiped me? You know what happened the other day when I was going to the grocery store? I came out with 10 bags and I was like, where's my car? My car is not here no more, right? Thinking of things like that, right? So as we dive into these verses today and continue to look at Paul's life and the amazing letter he wrote to the Philippians, we find great hope in the godly example that Paul has given us. So we can compare his life with how we live our life. The three main points for today's sermon are the three main points. One, how to enjoy peace, how to get peace, and how to maintain peace. Church, that's how to enjoy peace, how to get peace, and how to maintain peace. So I'll ask you the proverbial question. What does it mean to have peace? What does it mean to have peace? Does it mean to be free from worrying? Does it mean, like, just the worry goes away? The Bible says that peace comes from God. Peace comes from God. The Bible says perfect peace is for those who trust in God. The Bible says we have peace in Jesus Christ because he has overcome the world. The Bible says peace comes from the blood Jesus shed on the cross. The Bible says we are to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. The Bible says we are to seek peace and pursue peace, which is another letter in Peter, which Philippian believers were suffering greatly in that book. The peace spoken about in these verses is to give believers great hope, to strengthen believers in the midst of great trials, tribulations, adversities, hardships, pains, burdens, and great difficulties. So let's begin with point one. Point one, how to enjoy peace. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5a says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. True peace exists when we rejoice no matter what our circumstances are. The word rejoice refers to a continual, habitual, persistent practice of rejoicing. What it is not, it is not an irregular, erratic, infrequent practice of rejoicing. Rejoice means to experience joy and gladness in a high degree. Paul understands that rejoicing is the key to having peace. Paul uses the word rejoice nine times in this book, nine times throughout this letter. And look at the verse two times in this particular verse to show how important it is, how important it is to rejoice. Paul not only commands us in this verse to rejoice, but he tells us how to rejoice, how often, church? Always. And the word always, it means always. Remember, church, we are to rejoice how? Continually 
habitually and persistently. Rejoicing is a non-negotiable factor in a believer's peace. Look at that again. Rejoicing is a non-negotiable factor in a believer's peace. The next point. Rejoicing is the only way we rise above our circumstances. Rejoicing in God is the only way we rise above our circumstances. Paul is a man who persevered through many trials, and he kept his peace by keeping his eyes on the Lord and rejoicing in him. But the question is, how do you rejoice in God while going through difficult trials? How do you continue to rejoice? The answer is found by reflecting on the character and attributes of God. Just so we get the true full picture of who God is this morning, let's take a look at some. These are just a few of God's attributes. One is the sovereignty of God, supreme power, and he's superior to all others. Two is the omnipresence of God. He's present everywhere from the highest of heavens to the depths of hell. Three is the omniscience of God. He's all-knowing, all-knowing. Four is the omnipotence of God. His power is infinite, irresistible, inexhaustible, and incomprehensible. Church, we could go on and on talking about the attributes of God. There's his immutability. There's truthfulness. There's wisdom. There's faithfulness. There's grace. There's love. There's foreknowledge. On and on and on. But I only got so much time when my intro was kind of long, okay? This is the God that Paul is talking about in these verses. Knowing this about God is what helped Paul rejoice and enjoy God's peace. This is the God who began a good work in us and will bring it to completion. He's going to bring it to completion, church. Knowing this should make us rejoice and enjoy great peace in the midst of our trials. Knowing all these truths about God is why Paul can make the bold statement of Christ's work being completed with full assurance. Full assurance. Just like us, Paul was a man who struggled with difficulties of life, right? Throughout his ministry, Paul continued to cry out to the Lord again and again. We could read it in the scriptures. Is it easy to rejoice when you are going through difficult times? Is it easy? Of course not. So what do we do? Church, we cry out to God for help. And then we keep crying out to God for help. Just like Paul cried out to God continually. We have another, we have David who was another godly man who also went through many trials. David wrote these verses in Psalms chapter 40 verses 1 through 3. Psalms chapter 40 verses 1 through 3 said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. Three, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Notice how King David endured his trial. He cried out to God. And he patiently waited for God, who answered his prayer so that David could rejoice. Remember this? 
Remember the God we just talked about, the God who is sovereign, the God who's omnipresent, the God who's omnipotent, the God who's omniscient. He is the God that heard David's cry. He is the God that pulled David out of the pit. He is the God that put David's feet upon rock, solid ground. He is the God who made David's feet secure. He is the God who put a new song of rejoicing in David's mouth. And David is the one who put his trust in the Lord. I like the way John MacArthur explains joy. John MacArthur explains joy by saying, but joy is not a feeling. It is the deep down confidence that God is in control of everything for the believer's good and his own glory. And thus all is well, no matter what the circumstances. All is well, no matter what the circumstances. And church, we can rejoice because we can be confident that God is in control. Let's continue back in our passage at Philippians 4, 5. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. When I see that word reasonable, I think about how reasonable I am sometimes. We rejoice when we have a gentle spirit towards everyone around us. People who see it are benefited from us. When you see someone who's joyful, when you see someone who's happy, kind of skipping along, sometimes I see those people and I just want to go skip along with them and sing a song with them. They affect us, man. People who are not gentle, who are stressed out, who are short with their words, who are quick-tempered, who are combative, who are discontent, and who are irritable, those are people we usually don't want to be around. People who rejoice are people who have peace. They are enjoyable to be around because they are gentle. They rejoice continually. Why? Because they trust in the Lord. How about you? Are you a blessing or a curse to be around when you're going through difficult times? During difficult times, are you gentle? Are you agreeable? Are you easygoing? Are you content? Are you humble during those difficult times? Are you humble? Church, how do you enjoy peace? When you rejoice in knowing who God is, putting your complete trust in Him, knowing that He is in complete control of every situation and every circumstance. Amen. This brings us to our second point. Our second point, point number two, how to get peace. How to get peace. We are going to pick up at the end of verse 5. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 through 7 says, The Lord is at hand. 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What takes away our peace? When I think of what takes away my peace, I think the first thing I think about that comes to mind is when things happen that are beyond my control. When things happen in life, my life or the lives of others that I can't change quickly, can't do nothing about. They just are happening. Let's look at Philippians 4, 5b. Philippians 4, 5b says, The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. 
Now think about this, guy, church. Thinking about God's presence and knowing that he is closer than our breath should give us great peace. He is closer than our breath. He's right there. Look how the Lord assured Joshua of his presence in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's the same thing that Corky said in Zephaniah 3, I think it was. He's in the midst of us. He's right here. God's presence allows us to have peace. Knowing God is at hand should remedy our anxiety. When we don't think that God is there in the midst of our trials, we can find peace remembering that even though we walk through the shadow of the valley of death, we will fear no evil because the Lord is with us. He's with us. It's his rod and his staff that comfort us, that protect us, that give us peace. Now Paul gives us a command in the next verse. He gives us a command here. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul, in the midst of his difficulties, in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his imprisonment, gives us this command. Do not be anxious about anything. Stop and think about that for a moment. Do not be anxious about anything. Because of the presence of God, believers are to be anxious for nothing and can have peace. We can have peace knowing that nothing is outside the control of a sovereign God. Nothing is too difficult for God to handle. Jesus knew about the difficulties of anxiety as he taught about it in the Sermon on the Mount. What Paul says here in these verses is exactly what Jesus taught about. It's pretty much the exact same thing. Let's read it. Matthew 6, chapter 6, verses 25, and then 33 and 34. Chapter 6, verses 25, 33 through 34. And they read, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what... Sorry about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow is anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We see those same words. John MacArthur's quote about the Sermon on the Mountain gets straight to the point about anxiety. It's real direct. It says, Anxious, fretful, worried, harried believers are inherently unstable and vulnerable to trials and temptations. Anxiety is both a violation of Scripture and totally unnecessary. In a magnificent passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus pointed out the sinful folly of anxiety. This brings us to the second part of Philippians 4.6. Philippians 4.6 says, But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Is it easy to be thankful in the midst of the difficulties? 
Being thankful is not easy in difficult times. We can be thankful because God is at hand. Who better to have in the midst of suffering and trials than God himself? Think about it. No family member, no friend, no co-worker, no neighbor, nobody is better than God himself. And this is why we are thankful, because God is with us and we are not alone. And this is how we come to God with thanksgiving. We cry out to him for help in our present situation. We thank him for being near. Then God can truly hear our heartfelt God-honoring cries for help. When we approach the Lord in prayer, our hearts must be thankful, and God will give us peace. And what does the peace of God look like? Here in Philippians 4, 7, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We have great hope in knowing that the peace of God is incomprehensible and indescribable. When we cry out to the Lord with thanksgiving, knowing he is here with us in our present circumstances, he gives us not an ordinary peace. He gives us a peace that surpasses understanding. It is a peace that is unexplainable and supernatural. Supernatural. This brings us to our last point, church. Point three says how to maintain peace. How to maintain peace. Think about that for a moment, how we maintain peace. Philippians chapter four, verses eight through nine says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Maintaining our peace is direct, directly related to how a person thinks about God. Maintaining our peace is directly related to how a person thinks about God. As we think about that, this is why Paul tells us in this verse to think about these things. To think about these things. To think about means to dwell, to evaluate, to consider, to calculate. When you calculate something, you carefully consider it, right? Just like a building project. You know, over there we got going on in the church, we're doing some things, right? So Pastor Robert put together a budget to figure it out, right? When you go out to do maybe a sewing project, right, or some craft things, you go to the store, you put out a list, and you grab all the things you need so you can come back and get that going, right? Especially if it's something that you got to do the next day for your grandson or your daughter, or something you're building right away. You carefully consider that situation. We maintain our peace by practicing the things we learn from Paul. And Paul challenges us to follow his example. Practicing these things consists of the habitual discipline of our mind, thoughts, and everything we look at that is focused on what? It's focused on the fact that God is sovereign. God is in control of all things. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is not far off, but he's here. He's here in our trials. God is with you always. 
the key to maintaining peace is godly thinking. It's godly thinking. We maintain peace by practicing godly thinking, which consists of reading, analyzing, and meditating on the Word of God habitually. We must be disciplined with the proper godly attitudes, thoughts, and actions to maintain our peace. The peace of God that only comes from the God of peace. It's the peace of God that only comes from the God of peace. We must put on the mind of Christ by humbling ourselves daily in obedience to God. And this is the only way we maintain peace. As believers in Jesus Christ, we can enjoy God's peace at all times. God has given us his very self to ensure this. There is no one greater to have in any circumstance or trial of life than God. Thus we can rejoice in him at all times. We can go to him in prayer with thanksgiving at all times. Peace is ours in Christ Jesus. Peace is ours in Christ Jesus. And church, as we look at these hopes, as we look at these truths, right? As we look at who God is, right? And this picture that we've been painting throughout this scripture, this is the peace that we're talking about. This is the peace that Paul had. This is the peace that helped Paul get through his situation, his imprisonment. Because you see what Paul continued to do when he was in jail? He continued sharing the gospel to the people who were handcuffing him, who were probably maybe beating him, who probably weren't feeding him. Those were the people he was turning around and he was loving on them because he knew they were lost. He was continuing to share the gospel with them. For some of you out there, this type of peace is not affordable to you. And as we think about this, the first peace we need is peace with God. When we think about the gospel, we need to understand that we're an enemy of God, that we're at enmity with him. Our sin has separated us with him. When you look at John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Right? But the problem is, in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of sin is death. So what we deserve is death. We've accumulated this wage of death, right? And what does God do? You know, a lot of people, when I share the gospel with them, they tell me I'm a good person, and I always give them the good person quiz. You ever lied? You ever stolen something? You ever used God's name in vain? Go through the Ten Commandments with them, and it shows us how they fall short. And the beauty of it is our Savior, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He rose again. He shed his blood so that we could have forgiveness of sins. If you're separated from God, I urge you to be reconciled with God. You need the gift of salvation. If you never received Christ, you have to turn to him in obedience. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son, the wrath of God remains on them. When Jesus started his ministry, it says in Mark 1.15, it said, Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. I urge you, church, to turn and repent. That's it for, that's all I have for my sermon today. God bless you guys. Um, we have one more worship song. Okay. Okay.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for this message, Father. Father, we thank you that we know as believers in Christ, Father, that if we put our faith and trust in you, Father, you will give us this peace that surpasses understanding. Father, I pray for anybody in this church who's going through a difficulty, who's going through a trial, Father, that you continue to give them peace, Father. I pray for just perseverance and patience for them to continue to cry out to God. I pray that they remember that his presence is near, it's there. He's with them, walking through the trial, Father. I pray that they continue to reflect, meditate, uh, meditate and read the scriptures, Father, to see the great hope that comes from your word. And we pray this all in your precious name. Amen.